You're listening to CRST, the podcast from Bryn Mawr Communications. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of CRST, the podcast. I'm Jill Maher, and I'll be your host. I'm a consultant and recruiter with more than 25 years of experience in the healthcare industry. I provide overall practice management and strategic planning support to ophthalmic physicians and administrators through my company, Maher Medical Consulting. I was thrilled to share my pearls for optimizing physician recruitment in CRST's practice management issue, and I'm excited to delve deeper into this topic with fellow contributors to this issue of CRST, Patty Barkey, Carrie Jacobs, and Dr. Cynthia Matosian. Together, we'll be shedding light on how to better navigate staff shortages and physician recruitment. Patty, Carrie, and Cynthia, thank you so much for joining me today, and I'll let you each introduce yourselves. Hello, I'm Dr. Cynthia Matosian. I am the founder of Matosian Eye Associates and the past medical director. Matosian Eye Associates is a multi-specialty ophthalmology optometry practice located in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. I'm delighted to be here with all of you. This is Patty Barkey. And hi, I am from Jacksonville, Florida, where I have Bowden Eye and Associates and the Eye Surgery Center of North Florida. I am the president-elect for ASOA and program chair for Hawaiian Eye. I also have a program called Dry Eye University where we teach physicians around the world how to integrate and deliver dry eye care to their patients. And I'm delighted to be here today with everyone. And hello, I am Carrie Jacobs. I am the uh, executive vice president of operations at True Vision Institute in Bloomington, Minnesota. I have over 25 years of practice management experience. Um, I am delighted to be here as well with these wonderful ladies and look forward to a great conversation. Excellent. Thank you all so much for being here. We are all painfully aware that the nature of physician recruitment has changed in recent years. Gone are the days when practices could place an ad, just sit back and wait for the multitude of applications to roll in. I have a few strategies that may be beneficial throughout your search, but I find that multiple tweaks to a practice's search process are typically required to find the right doctor to recruit. So just to share a couple of quick tips, and I want to ask each of you as well what tips you have. Um, but you know, one thing that I have really observed over the years is that keeping the interviewing process moving at all times is really important. So not waiting days and weeks to contact candidates. And once you're actually interviewing candidates to make sure that there's always the next step on the calendar um, so that they always have something else that they're looking forward to. If a lot of time goes by in between those interviews, oftentimes that candidate has moved on to another opportunity. Um, another thing that I've noticed as well um, with a lot of young ophthalmologists, and they've certainly been sharing this, um, everybody's a little bit different, but one thing that seems to be common for most of these young ophthalmologists is that they're looking for a really great mentor. That seems to be kind of the, the key that everybody wants as they're searching for the greatest opportunity out there is finding somebody who's a phenomenal mentor. Um, and, and that really kind of goes hand in hand with kind of my last and final little tip um, is really getting candidates in front of the managing partner as soon as possible. Um, many practices have their administrators do the initial interviews 
and that's fantastic. But keep that really brief, 15, 20 minutes, something like that, and then move them on to the next interview with the managing partner. Um, many of them really want to talk about the clinical aspects of the job and what that day-to-day uh, is going to look like for them. So you all have very successful practices with lots of physicians. What tips have you found um, that have been really helpful as you're recruiting? Well, I'll say that, you know, for Bowden I and for us, we've had some very um, wonderful successes and we've had some failures. And I think, you know, our biggest thing we land on is um, it was a, a, a meeting we were in years ago where a thing was discussed, PLU, which is people like you. And finding a great cultural fit is the critical, critical piece of developing that relationship. And the hard thing about that is many of the young physicians, they aren't who they're going to be in 10 years, you know, and we're in it for the long haul and we want that 10 year person, but trying to figure out if your investment's gonna get you to that 10 year mark is the big piece. And understanding someone that has their life kind of laid out with goals and a mission where they wanna be and that entrepreneurial spirit I think is our biggest thing. So people like us or people like you, you know, we want to mesh together. A stark cultural um, change or difference just doesn't mesh well together. Yeah, Patty, that's really so spot on. And Jill, I want to go back to a comment you made about looking for a mentor in a in a relationship. And I think it's really important to identify what they mean by that. Are they looking for, you know, understanding the business? Are they looking to enhance their surgical skills? Are they looking to understand the patient conversation? Because what mentorship means for different people is so different. And you want to make sure that the goals align, because if they are looking for a mentor in a physician partnership that doesn't, isn't congruent with the practice philosophy, then that may be a really bad match, even if it is seemingly a good individual. Patty and, and um, Carrie, those are really fantastic points. A few other pearls that I want to add to the comments that have been made so far are actually two. One, to find the person who's going to be that perfect fit, Patty, like you alluded to, I believe physicians can get involved in academic programs, you know, teach there once a month, um, get to know the residents and fellows, have them rotate in the practice. This way you're getting a feel of that person. And that person is getting kind of an insight to your practice. This way you can assess each other, so to speak, and see if potentially one of those candidates will then want to join your practice. And the second point is about the mentorship that uh, both of you commented on, Carrie and Patty, is what some of these young docs are looking for is more transparency, especially when it comes to financials. They don't understand this language. It, it's something that they haven't been taught in medical school, residency, and fellowship. So if you can just share that we have open books, you're going to get your accounts, and I will sit down with you and go over it a few times till you really understand it. Then your numbers or your financials will be available to you on a monthly basis. I think that will allay a lot of their fear of the unknown. In our interview process, one of the things we've done is 
like Jill alluded to, I'm often the person that starts this relationship, right? I'm usually the first contact and I got to get them to the next point, right? To the others. But my thing I've learned along the way is to involve as many people in the process as possible. I'll bring them in like usually the day before they'll get to watch a little bit of surgery with the senior partner and then we'll go to dinner together and we'll invite a few people to dinner. And then the next day we have them stay in clinic and see some of the post-ops and see the clinic in action and get to meet some of the clinic teams. But what that has done is I think it shows them, it, it, it you know, eludes the culture. They get to see, are the techs too stressed out? Are they really helping? What are they doing for the physicians? How's the flow working? Could they see themselves in this particular environment working? And then, you know, the sad thing is, is right now we don't have a large group of people out there to recruit from. So being very cautious not to just settle because you just need a body, I think is really, really important. In addition to that, Patty, we found, and I'm sure you do this too, that if there is a partner or a spouse to include them when you're bringing them into your practice, we've learned too that sometimes the spouse may be more the issue than the candidate that you're interviewing and uh, making sure you know that, that what that relationship is like is also a critical piece in the interview process. And another really important point is the young doctors looking to join a practice are always concerned about how are they going to build up their volume of patients and surgical cases. So if you can kind of review that upfront with them and say, we have a plan. Yes, you have to take some responsibility and these will be the tasks that we want you to complete. We're open for your feedback. But as a result, this is what we're doing too to build up your book, so to speak. Then the doctors will see that, okay, there's a concerted effort. It's not just all on me. It's also on the practice and the managing partner and the administrator and the whole team to make everybody successful. And that's so important because I think, you know, Dr. Matosian, and you could probably speak to this, but when you're in a practice where you have a senior partner, which all three of us, you've been a senior, uh, Carrie's got one, I've got one. Many times, most times, that senior partner developed their practice on their own, walking the streets, getting the referrals, doing everything to get this practice to where it is. And sometimes their mental mindset on how this person's going to have things given to them or have things fed to them, which now we can do because we're a larger practice, because that legwork's been done. Having that discussion is real important with a senior partner and how they interact with this new interview person too is important. Oh my gosh, that is so true. <laughs> I have seen it multiple times where there are some senior partners who expect all of the new doctors walking in the door to give as much sweat, blood, and tears that they have over the years and it's maybe not as necessary anymore. And it also sometimes scares away candidates. So it does need to be presented a little bit differently now when you're interviewing young ophthalmologists, for sure. Yeah, you don't have to walk up the mountain in the snow barefooted on the way. Yeah, both ways. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Until you get holes in your shoes, right? Right. Um, um, actually, what we did is we put um, a program together. So 
everybody knew what it was and what was expected of them from the beginning. The number of lectures or presentations they were kind of invited to do in the community, the number of ODs or referring physicians they had to visit on a weekly basis. And it was over a one-year period. They did a lot more of that when they first started, when they may not be on as many insurances and may not have as busy a schedule. They have more time to get out and meet the docs in the community. And then that tapered over the 12-month period as their schedules got busier. Having it in print, then everybody knows what's expected. And actually, I used to sign it along with the new oncoming physicians. Yeah, but I think you have to be careful there too, because sometimes you could have the best surgeon with an entrepreneurial spirit who's going to be hugely successful, but really doesn't want to go get face to face with people, doesn't want to be a speaker, doesn't, you know, they really just want to do their patients and do medicine. And that's a hard thing that, you know, we don't turn away a great candidate because they may buck having that part, marketing themselves. That's hard, I think. Some people can't market themselves, you know, I mean, they just can't. You're right, Patty, but at least the community needs to know who they are and vice versa. Right. You have to have someone go with them. Absolutely. You know what I like about that? And I think what the key is, is setting expectations um, and making sure that you're setting realistic expectations, but also that um, the expectations are met on both sides um, because everybody's coming to the table with different expectations and you just want to make sure that they align to make sure that you have long-term success. Well, just shifting gears slightly, another significant challenge facing ophthalmology practices is staff shortage. Um, I'm hearing it from every administrator who I speak to and every physician. So Patty, Carrie, Cynthia, your article outlines several strategies for maintaining a successful practice despite the challenges of staff shortages. Much like physician recruitment, the standard approach of posting a job opening online and selecting the best candidate is totally insufficient for today's job climate. So what are you doing differently to bring in staff members? And and even before I even get to that question, I was reading the article and I love that you have a catchphrase at the top that says creative flexibility is key. I love that. I was wondering if you could explain what that means. I think that was Carrie in the article, maybe. (laughs) I'm not as flexible as Carrie is. Um, You know, I think, yes, you got to be flexible, but you got to be careful with flexibility, too, because you have a team in which you're trying to merge new people into. And if you get too flexible, um, suddenly there's no one here at eight o'clock to see the patients that are coming in because they prefer to work at nine o'clock. So flexibility. um, Yeah, I like, you know, Carrie, enlighten us. You're flexible. Well, yes, I, you know, I am flexible to a point. I think, you know, I have some single moms in the practice that, you know, are excellent workers, yet they have the responsibility of getting the the, the kiddos on the bus. And while they want to be here at 730, they can be here promptly at eight o'clock and ready to be on the floor, you know, where I have, you know, other single uh, or non, you know, maybe their kids are grown or they don't have that same constraint where they're able to be here early and then they are happy to be off early. So, you know, I try to create the picture that is um, a win-win for everyone on the team. So there is no animosity 
or you know feeling like only certain people are carrying all the weight so in that respect you know i'm able to retain employees by providing a little bit of flexibility where otherwise you know if i don't then we're running short and everyone's unhappy so um you know that has worked really really well in addition to i have you know i've had a couple really incredible technicians that have left the practice for florida patty <laughs> um and yet they they wanted to remain part of our business so you know i was able to keep them on staff utilizing them um, in a triage position getting health histories in advance and you're know, kind of doing some remote work that way and it's been really incredible it helps the team internally and it's helped me retain really great talent um, that otherwise you know would have been lost to bowden eye care <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we did we did similar there, too. And I think when you're looking at where to get new people from, it's, you know, first off, how to keep the ones you have. And we had a couple that were leaving that had been long term employees and um, they're working for us in the call center. You know, one's in Alabama and one's in Pensacola and they're part of our call center. No one can tell that they're not right in our office when but maintaining that. And that's a flexibility piece, too. And we wouldn't offer it to just anyone. They were true, loyal employees who had demonstrated the ability to do such a thing. And I'm sure that was Carrie's position with those individuals as well. So, you know, in that sense, yes, the flexibility. Um, altering hours, yes, you can do a little bit of a late start, a little bit of a, you know, early. But you have to be careful because being fair to everyone is so important. Yes, that is truly the key. So. Yeah, Patty just nailed it right there. The only way it works is if you are taking everyone into consideration, because if you don't, that's where you're going to get into trouble. Those are such valid points. I think what's important of what both you said, Carrie, and you alluded to, Patty, is that hearing the technician really listening to what they are trying to say. And if they are the single mom who has to get the kiddos on the bus or somebody who has to be there to meet their kids at the end of the day, that minimal personalization of the schedule really makes them feel part of the culture, that you're really empathetic and empathy being felt like felt inclusivity and feeling like they're part of the family of the practice are key components why staff stay. And if they don't feel those, even though the pay may be good, maybe reasons why they leave. Well, all three of us are really making sure that our team is connected and through communication is the best way to have connection. And with people, our, our team members that are working remotely, we make sure that they are part of every single team meeting via Zoom. We offer to, you know, if they are able to fly in, we do, you know, twice a year, all staff shut down the clinic training. Um, you know, we want to make sure that they feel as connected to the team as anyone else who is physically here in the office every day. Yeah, we have a thing um, like next weekend, we have an end of the summer bash 
where we have ponies and face painting and all of this going on. And, you know, my team that are out, the virtual call center, they're trying their best to get to town so that they can participate and see everybody. They want to do that. They want to be a part of it. And right there, what you said, Patty, and what you said, Carrie, are also key factors is that you are spending money on your staff either to train them, shut the clinic and do it during business hours, not asking them to come in on a Saturday or a Sunday to do the training. And you're providing festivities and activities for your staff, an end of summer bash. So that means you're spending money on your staff. Trust me, they know it when practices do and when practices don't. And these technicians are working really hard. Some kind of appreciation, whether in the form of training and or activities, goes a very long way. And what I'm finding when I am recruiting new employees is they are looking at everything. They are dissecting your website. The first thing that I'm hearing is your Google reviews are amazing, which tells me that they they are researching your company before they're even choosing to interview with you. And, you know, I recently just did a Zoom interview with uh, a, a potential employee that that gave me like specific words that she was pulling out of our Google reviews and off of our website where she said that she felt connected to what we are doing in our organization, which is why she chose to apply with us. And so that takeaway from that is it's not just about a job anymore. It is about what kind of culture do I want to work in in today's environment? And is that going to satisfy and fill me up as an individual that is contributing to the greater good in society? Yeah, and you can create that culture to the point that, unfortunately, if you have someone that you bring in and they don't work out, um, you know, I've had a couple of situations where we've had to let a couple of people go because they just weren't the right fit right? Either work ethic or whatever. And we've learned that we have to do that earlier than later, because when people want to be a part of a culture and they feel the warm and the fuzzies and they want to be there, they get very angry if you eliminate them from that opportunity, even if they're not performing and they're not doing the right things. So yeah, culture is everything and creating that environment where they're proud to be a part of it. They're proud of outcomes that take place. They're proud of seeing the physician, the patients and getting to know the patients. All of that's just so important. I've been dealing with some health things and I've been going to different practices and you can feel the culture when you walk in the door. As a patient, you can feel it. And I want staff that are proud of what patients feel when they walk in the door. That empathy is one of the most important things when recruiting, I think, F figuring out the empathy component of an individual. So, Patty, would you say that, you know, what you feel when you go to other specialties and specialists through your own personal um, experiences is more transactional, more of a transactional kind of feeling versus, you know, a human feeling? Yes, I've seen a lot of that. Um, very transactional, um, not returning phone calls, not answering calls. You know, my call center answers on a ring. They do not use a machine that, you know, has a voice, anything over the first ring. I dread calling a physician's office where I have to sit and listen. I can't, I'm, I'm a multitasker and I've already forgotten what you said and which button to push because I was doing something else. Right. And, you know, 
our pay our employees are very proud that we're kind of we're not technology adverse but we also try to stay a little basic in some of those needs for the patients because it's about the patients and not sometimes about technology that can make us do more faster right it's about can the patient keep up with that technology and what we're offering to them too so yeah i like that when you walk in the door that somebody at the front desk you know wants to look up and smile and greet you and welcome you in and thank you for coming. That's so important, I think. When you're in the process of interviewing, obviously culture is incredibly important and all three of you have amazing practices. How do you uh, communicate or explain the culture that you have or do you let the candidates observe um, to really feel what that culture is in your practice? Well, I think we do a little of both. Um, most of the time, you know, they come in and they're filling out an application and they're sitting in, in the waiting room. And I don't like to do virtual interviews. I only do them occasionally because I want them to have to come into our environment. I want them to have to handwrite that application because I have attention to details huge for me. And I have some stuff built into the application that if they miss it, it's like a uh you know, um, so I want them to have to feel all of that. So by the time they get through that and they're walked back to our conference room where we do interviews, usually they have a comment about, you know, your front desk was so nice. Your people were so nice. You know, they have comments about that. And that's what we want to hear from them, that they've noticed what they've walked into. You know, and the other thing about that right now is, and I'm sure Carrie's noticed it too, is. Um, about eight out of 10 interviews you set up right now does not show up. They just do not come to the office. They disappear. They don't return for, they don't answer calls. Yeah. And that's, I think the reason why I still do virtual interviews because it helps me eliminate that problem a little bit too. So the virtual for me is 15, 20 minutes. And if that candidate one shows up and two kind of passes, you know, my bar a little bit, then they come in for a, you know, shadowing interview basically with the team. And I do also a paper application at when they come in as well, Patty, because I do agree a hundred percent. You can use um, all the technology in the world to make sure that your resume is beautiful, but can you actually write a sentence? Can you actually, you know, are you truly literate? And do you see those little you know, Easter eggs that you hide in your application process to see if they catch those details. Um, how about you, Dr. Matosian? You know, I think creating a comfortable environment for the interview also goes a long way because a lot of these applicants, most of whom are younger women, although that mix is changing, can get very intimidated and frightened and may not come across as confidently um, as they truly can be. So I think creating that supportive environment, a, a, a place where, you know, they can really answer the questions you're asking them during the interview makes also a big difference. And that's up to the interviewer to create that setting. Good. And, and where are you all finding uh, great candidates? Where should practices be looking for candidates? Well, I, we do, you know, obviously the internet, you know, ads and things like that. But I love to be in a restaurant where I have a waitress that is just phenomenal and has that attention to detail. And usually the first thing I'll ask is, you know, what else do you do? You know, is this, you know, I try to find out without doing it rudely, if this is their life, if that's all they do. And, you know, if you find somebody that, you know, they've just been looking for a right opportunity to get into something that's really a day job, 
Um, I've, I've found some wonderful people that way. It, it works. Jewelry stores, you know, high end, if you're doing a lot of high end services, um, you can find people out there in everyday walks of life that could, could walk into medical, never thinking they could, could come into medical and be very successful. Even positions in cosmetic counters at department stores, um, you know, sometimes the, I guess, traffic through these stores isn't what it used to be. And these women are looking for other more secure positions. And they have never thought about ophthalmology. Most of them don't even know what it means, let alone spell with the extra H in there. But if you help them out and say it's eyes and it's eye technicians and really, you know, the sky is the limit, you're really, you know, piquing their interest. I agree with both of those strategies. And I think that, you know, I kind of equate ophthalmology similar to cosmetic dentistry or dermatology to help them get a framework that it's, you know, it's not your general practitioner. It's not, you know, it's not what you think of when you think of healthcare. And I think framing, you know, giving them an idea, a picture in their mind um, helps to pique the interest a little bit more, you know, and I, we've, we've had success and we've had failures by, by recruiting, you know, that way, because if someone is truly a server, and really wants to be in that type of environment, it's kind of hard to make that flip unless they truly are looking for, you know, a, like a work-life balance in their life. Because like those type of hours of a server, you know, can serve other purposes if they're, you know, maybe going to school or you know, like Patty said, what else is happening in your life that you're choosing this path? Because working for our practice may not align with the constraints you have elsewhere in your life. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing we've done is utilize our staff, our team we have now and offered like a recruitment bonus to them. If they have a friend or find someone who they think would be the perfect fit and they've become a little stingy with who they will refer because they want to be successful because it's a reflection on them, but then offering them a bonus. If this person, you know, usually it's paid at the 90 day mark when the person has successfully gotten in, implemented into the practice. But that's been one area that has worked well with us because then they have an automatic like mentor kind of a partner that's going to help them navigate through the system as they learn us more and more. So that has worked as well. And I wonder if that also helps too with bringing in new employees that will fit into your culture. If it's friends or family members that they like, it's going to, hopefully they will fit into the culture a little bit better. Exactly. And Jill, one other thing it does, we had a similar program as well, is immediately create that mentor. Just like we discussed, young physicians are looking for physician mentors when they come into a practice. Trust me, technicians are looking for mentors as well. You know, they don't know where to sit when they go to, let's say, the break room or what the processes are for getting a cup of coffee. So having a mentor who can virtually hold their hand and say, this is how we do it here. This is how you work up a patient, not just the training, but the steps involved in fitting into the culture makes a big difference. So that goes, it's a like a uh, dual path, you know, not just getting a new employee, but having that built-in mentorship as well. Absolutely. 
So just one last question. Is there anything that practices can do to remain successful when staffing is an issue? Are there any digital solutions or anything else that you utilize for your practice? Yes, there are digital solutions. I'll kind of let uh, Patty and Dr. Matosian kind of head that up. But I think the key thing when you are running short or have some staffing issues is leadership has to pitch in and walk the walk because you know if if a leader is sitting in their office just kind of making sure like okay we're covered we're good but yet these you know great people are just running their tails off and you know burning the candle at both ends you know being on the floor showing the support pitching in wherever you can i think that in and of itself you know really helps bridge you know that that gap that's happening when you're short staffed you know as well as you know be sure to then thank the people at the end of the day, provide really great feedback like, hey, hey, John, thank you so much for, you know, working 10 hours a day. I know that that was tough for you, but I really appreciated everything that you did. You know, that goes, you know, so much further than than throwing money at someone or, you know, I don't know, compensating in a different way. But, you know, being on the floor, chip pitching in and then showing that appreciation uh, I think is really the main thing in, in being successful there. And also being on the floor as a managing partner or physician gives you a real feel of how hard the technicians are working. If you're just hiding in your office and come out when the light goes on, that a room is ready, you may not see the amount of steps they're putting in, how many um questions they're answering for the patients and how the phones are ringing nonstop, which is a good problem to have. But it really gives you a real world um, perception and perspective of the, the environment in which your technicians are working. And that in itself can help physicians figure out better processes, talk to their administrative staff to figure out how to streamline some things. If they're not cognizant, they may not even know to bring these topics up. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously it depends on the size of your practice and how much you can do. And, you know, the three of us have been fortunate to be in practices where we can get out there and walk the walk and talk the talk. And I realize there's some larger practices where that's harder for an administrator to do. Um, but I think, when you have a sense of where they're struggling, like Dr. Matosian says, when they bring up things that are important to them, that's where you can start looking at the technologies that are out there. How can we work smarter, um, you know, but not change our culture so completely that it is disarming to the patients or to the providers? Sometimes the providers can get disarmed if they, what do you mean this is now we're using a technology, you know, you want to kind of keep it, educate everybody, keep it very transparent. But we've done a couple of things like we um, and we are usually, which I'm sure the other two ladies, too, are that practice where people call and say, hey, I've got this new thing. We want to test it. We want to see how it works. And I've started kind of limiting myself to that some because I felt like it was too much there for a while. We were being called left and right. And I was kind of getting my teams in too much on too many different things and they were getting confused. But one like right now we're using, which is a new product that may come out as Navigator. And, you know, Navigator, you can um, they have a team that's virtual that will call the patients and educate them about cataract surgery, do those kind of things. Um, there's Brevium out there that will help feed the staff, 
people to call on a recall effort. Using those tools where you don't have to manually dig or we're taking something off somebody else's plate that day that somebody else is going to do for them because just like Carrie said, you're out there taking on some of the weight. I've been billing manager for my practice now this year um, on top of everything else I have to do. I've re I'm revamping the entire billing um, processes for our office and people see me doing that. They see me daily asking a question about this particular code or what's going on. So they, they get that, but also seeing that I'm taking it to a level to make it a better thing for them is the most important thing. That's just, um, it's, it's everything for your staff to see that happen. Yeah. And to identify, to identify which technologies are going to make your team more efficient and productive, I think is really important. At the same time, some tech, some platforms overlap with others. So like Patty said, if you have too much technology, that also can be a hindrance versus a help. So identifying what's really working, what do we need? What can we eliminate? What can we streamline? Um, takes a lot of work, but you know, the whole purpose of that is to help with efficiencies and processes without taking out the human being, of course, um, to help your, your practice be more um, efficient in their, in their processes. Because of the shortage, there are really incredible technologies out there to help practices, physicians, and their administrators. So it's really up to us as well to stay on top of things, to understand and become aware of what these technologies are, their costs, because some of them are very costly and others are not. Some are very complex to integrate within a practice. Some are very simple, more like plug and play. So you have to, as a managing physician or an administrator, really understand what's new. You can't keep your head in the sand and then figure out, is there duplication or is this technology really going to help make my practice stand out and help my staff and my patients? Yeah. Some of them, if there's a like a component you're trying to carve out to let this technology do for you um, can create a gap for your staff that creates confusion for the staff. If it's something they've always done and now they're being told to look in the other direction, somebody else is going to do this virtually for them. What I have found too, if you're not careful, is they start totally ignoring that aspect and then the ball gets dropped somewhere and no one's noticing the ball's dropping. You know, the companies out using virtual employees to do things are hiring from the same uh, pool of individuals that we're trying to hire from, right? Maybe they didn't show up that day. They didn't get on the calls. They didn't do the things they were supposed to do. And now your team's no longer doing it. So nobody did it, right? So um, you got to have that oversight constantly and court awareness, I call it, to know the big picture of what's going on around us and where's the ball dropping. Absolutely. Wow, this discussion has been absolutely fantastic. I've learned so much. So Patty, Carrie, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining me for this excellent discussion of some of the practice management topics featured in CRST's September issue. I hope that the tactics for candidate recruitment and overall practice management that we've discussed prove helpful to your practice's success despite today's challenges. Hope you all have a wonderful day. For more shows like the one you just listened to, check out the podcast channel on itube.net.